Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to Chabura Public Shiur. Today we have with us our Rosh Bet Midrash, Senior Rabbi of the S&P Communities of the UK, Rabbi Joseph Dweck. Tonight we will be exploring the importance of taking breaks from a Torah perspective. And as you all know, our 2021-2022 program is coming to an end, and after this shiur, we will have two more shiurim next week on Monday and Wednesday, and then our curriculum officially ends. Uh, throughout July, we will have special public classes on Sunday. On August, we will take a break. And starting September, we will be up and running with a brand new and exciting 2022-2023 curriculum. Yeah, for our current members, make sure to renew your membership, and we hope to see you back for another year of amazing learning and growing. Uh, for those who are not yet members, who follow us on social media, YouTube, or just join the public classes, we are happy that you are following us. And uh, we highly recommend joining the club and taking full advantage of the members' weekly shooting, uh, be part of our live events, our meetups, our journal, our Discord, and to support our initiatives like our publishing house. And with that said, the class is being recorded and will be available after. If you have any questions, please raise your hand and hopefully we will also have time for questions at the end. Uh, thank you so much everyone for joining and thank you so much Rabbi, for being here with us. It is always a privilege, the floor is yours. Thank you, my dear Rav Ohad. I want to say, being that this is the last shiur that I will give uh, for the first year of the Chabura, thank you, Ohad, so much for all that you have done to facilitate all these shiurim, because I know how much time, not only online, you know, the introductions and filling in when people aren't, you know, you know be able to take care of so much of the administrative elements that happen, but also behind the scenes, which I'm aware of. So I'm very deeply grateful to you for all of your work and all of your dedication. And on all of it, you should have perot and see nachat ruach from all of your perula, from everything that you're doing. And I also want to take an opportunity to personally thank Sina, Rab Sina Kain, uh, for, I mean, to say all the work he does is an understatement for basically, you know, making sure the engine of the Chabura is running uh, without, without, without any glitches and any problems and constantly, uh, you know, dedicated and focused completely on every aspect. And it's really remarkable. It's remarkable. I'm, I'm very, I'm very grateful that, uh, you know, that he is is doing this and that he's giving everybody an opportunity both to teach and to learn and the Hagdil Torah. So for him too, and of course, Avi Garson and all of the contributions that he makes and the time and effort and focus and everybody. I mean, you know, I, I, the truth is I started naming names and now I'm afraid that I don't name names and nobody should feel bad. But Ohad's here and Sina and Avi, everybody knows, but it goes without saying, all of the people, so many people, are dedicated to the success of this virtual Bet Midrash. And for me to be able to watch it, just as, you know, as a bystander, not just as a Rosh Bet Midrash, but certainly as a Rosh Bet Midrash, I'm humbled by it. I'm humbled by it. I'm, I'm so inspired by it. I'm so grateful for it. And the truth of the matter is, it really is a dream come true. Because uh, there were many, many days and years of despair, if I'm being completely honest, that I had when I was younger, wondering what will be Torah Mateha Aleha. And here we have this beautiful in endeavor that we've taken advantage of, of the technologies that we've developed. And we said, Bishwili Nivra Aulam. And we've, uh, we've taken full advantage of it. And we've created a virtual community. We have facilitated tremendous Talmud Torah and growth. And uh, 
it's really remarkable. It's, it's, it's just staggering, really. And I'm very, very grateful and humbled to be part of it and to, to be able to see it grow. And, and that was our Shana Rishona. So Yehiratzon, that the Shana Rishona should be a siman for all of the Shanim to come. And we should be able to continue in this way. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu should continue to bless our work. That we should to thank him. That we should continue to uh, to be able to learn so uh, that said there is a question of course and the question is why should we be taking any breaks because this is such a great thing i mean you know are we even allowed to take breaks on these on in in, in endeavors like this and so what i'd like to do is to be able to present a perspective on that as we do come to a point in which we will, for you know, most all intents and purposes, to, for for taking a break from the you know the regular programming and learning and engagement with the Habura. and in that I will also suggest what you might spend your time doing in this break, right? So I want to be clear that when I say taking a break, I'm not talking about you know going off on vacation and jet skiing, although you might do that. Because, you know, the reality is, is that Torah always needs to be a part of our lives. There, there, it isn't really, you know, a question of taking a break from Torah per se. But uh, when I say taking a break from Torah study, there is a kind of study. There's a kind of investment and involvement and kind of pause and, 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 uh, and stepping back. And that's really what I want to look at with you today. And I want to show it to you uh, within Devre Torah and Devre Hachamim. So let us do that. So the, to orient first, right? The, the place that I want to look at is in is in Sefer Vaikra. And I mentioned this before, but I want to do this specifically in this way. And the opening of Sefer Vaikra, of course, is with this Kriya. It's with Akadosh Baruch Hu calling to Moshe. And you know, it's one of the more dramatic scenes. People kind of miss the drama here because they don't realize what's going on, but it is without question one of the most one of the more dramatic scenes in the Torah. I mean, I, you know, growing up in LA, I always, always think about it from a film perspective. You know, if we were, if we were doing a film, how would the scene look? You know, how would it end and how would it open? It's very important to recognize that. And what we would have is at the close of Sefer Shemot, an extremely intense situation because at the, the end of Shemot, the Mishkan project is complete. It is the day that the Mishkan is, is built and, you know, it works. You know, you put it all together and then you turn on the lights and all of a sudden it works and there's this cloud that fills the Mishkan. And the Torah says with this cloud filling the Mishkan, it was Kvod Hashem, right? It was the, it was the glory of God. Kvod Adonai Malet HaMishkan, the glory of God filled the Mishkan. And I mean, you know, that's awesome. When you, when you kind of imagine that, picture that, that, you know, they've put it together, these sticks and stones and fabrics. And all of a sudden, this is a place that is manifest, that allows for the presence of Shekhinah in Israel, and, and, and it's expressed in cloud form, very powerful. And then it says, Moshe right? Moshe couldn't come into the Mishkan. Why? Because God was there, right? So God had filled the interior of the Mishkan. At least the presence of God, the Shekhinah of Kadosh Baruch Hu filled the interior. Obviously, we're not talking about a Kadosh Baruch Hu Atzmo. And Moshe cannot go in, right? He's, 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 it's being occupied. 
And so he waits. And then it's all of a sudden the end, right? That's where the first movie ends. And, you know, it's to be continued. And there are no, uh, you know, what do they call them on in the Marvel world? What, what do they call those things during the credits? You know, those little snippet scenes in the end of the movie. I forget what they call them. Anyway, I don't know. My kids know what they're called. Isaac, you were around. What are they called? Post-credit scenes. What are they called? Post-credit. No, no. There's a name for them, no? Post-credit scenes. Okay. Post-credit. Fine. So there's these post-credit scenes. Not even that. We don't even get the post-credit scenes. We don't have any idea what's going to happen next. It's to be continued. And we got to wait until the next book to see what happened. So if Aikra opens up at that scene, Moshe is waiting. There's a cloud filled with Mishkan, glory of God. Now what? And it opens Vaikra and Moshe. HaKadosh Baruch who calls Moshe in to the Mishkan, invites him. And that invitation is very special because Achamim have huge issues, discussions with that one invitation, this Vaikra El Moshe. And Rashi gives you a glimpse of this massive discussion of the Hachamim and tells us something, which we'll look at in a moment. And then the Hachamim go on and on and they talk all about this, this, this invitation that God makes to Moshe. And one of the things that, that the Achamim say that is brought by Rashi, which I'll share the screen, so, so excuse me, so that you can see. Okay. Is this, right? can you see my screen? Can you see here? Rashi? Yeah. yeah. So Rashi says, Moshe, this is the first Rashi in, this, in the book in Vaikra. Lechol diberot, ulchol amirot, ulchol tzivuyim, so this Vaikrayal Moshe, this invitation to Moshe, this calling to Moshe to come forth, this welcoming, right? Because the Hachamim say Moshe didn't go in, right? I mean, Kadosh Baruch who's occupying the Mishkan, it's his domain. I'm not just going to barge in to the Mishkan when I'm not there. So Kadosh Baruch who invites Moshe, says, You can come in. Come, 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 Moshe. And Rashi says that this happens not just here. And Rashi, of course, is basing this on a sifra, right? On the, on the Midrash, the Hazal. It's not just here, Moshe, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu called him. Every time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu began dialogue with Moshe, whether it was a Dibera or an Amira or a Tzivui or all of that, any time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke to Moshe, Kad Makriya, this invitation, this calling preceded it. Right, so it was never just uh, no, it was it was Moshe, Moshe, Moshe. Those will call him. Those will Moshe would respond, say yes, and say the Israel, and so on and so on. So now, what Rashi says is beautiful. Rashi says that that is lishon hiba. That's a, a a term of admiration, of adoration. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in calling Moshe, Moshe, before speaking, was an expression of care. That this wasn't just, here, let me, let me command you, let me talk at you, right? This is, Moshe, come in, spend, be with me. Sit with me. Let's engage. 
And so it says it's the Shon Shemalach Hasharet Mishdamshim. I mean, the, the, the angels use this with each other. It says, they would call to each other out of care, whatever it is that, that means. Now, we also recognize that because God doesn't do that all the time. He did this for Moshe because there was a special care for Moshe. Who, the person he didn't do this for was Bilam. Bilam, they would just be haphazard call, haphazard uh, dialogue. All of a sudden, God would start talking to Bilam. Bilam would have to like, you know, and focus and listen. Why? Because it wasn't so personal and caring. It was just, you know, logistical. I have something to tell you. I'm going to talk to you. I don't need to call you and be warm and sit with you, invite you. It doesn't happen with the person like Bilam. So that's, that's Rashi's point. Rashi's point is, is that this was not a one-time thing. This was the manner in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, there's something that's implied here. And the something that is implied here is that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu stopped speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu, there was an end. And so anytime that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to speak again, there was another invitation. But what happened in between? What happened between one speaking session and another speaking session? Where was Moshe? Was he not sitting with God? Was he away on his own? So that Rashi doesn't focus on, but the Sifra focuses on. And the Sifra says as follows. First, it goes through a little bit more of the detail that Rashi kind of cover, or covers, right? He, he just gives the tamtzit, he gives the, the, you know, what comes out. And he says, I mean, is it possible that the invitation was only with this one time that Moshe was spoken to by God, where it specifically says or explicitly says, How do we know that every time it says, Moshe, that preceding that, although not recorded, was a kriya? It says, so we learned from the fact that it said we learned from that anytime there was a there was a dialogue emanating from Moel Moed, it always came first with a Kriya. So okay, so maybe maybe it was only with Dibrot that there was a Kriya. What about Amirot and Subuyin? What about just a regular dialogue or specific commandments? Right? It says meaning for everything. It includes all of the nature of the language of, of speaking to, to Moshe Rabbeinu. Then they ask this question. Well, did Moshe uh, get an invitation from God to break? After the, the speaking was done. No, when they were done, they were done. Akadosh Baruch didn't say to Moshe, Moshe, you are now invited to take a break. When they finished, it was finished. So the only time that there was an invitation was when Moshe needed to be spoken to or there needed to be dialogue and Akadosh Baruch invited him to come and sit together. And this is Lashon Hibaz, she says, this is a warm, caring term or tone. But not for the breaks, which implies and uh, pretty much explicitly says there were breaks. Now that is significant enough an issue that the Achamim want to unpack that. 
right? Because it's always like, well, what do you mean there were breaks? What breaks? What are the breaks? What are those about? And I could understand that there's a whole issue of dialogue, but what's the, what do the breaks do? And what are the breaks? The breaks are when HaKadosh Baruch is not talking to Moshe. When Moshe is left and not sitting with God. So asked, what was the purpose of these breaks? To give Moshe space. All right, so they were intentionally done. First thing they say is, why were these breaks done? Not just because HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't have anything more to say. I mean, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could give the entire Torah in one sitting. It's not a problem. Can condense the information and have it unload, you know, uh, you know, have it, have, have it get, you know, unpacked. And a zip file, he could send it down and get it, let Moshe, you know, unpack it after a while. No, there was specific breaks given. And the reason why the breaks were given was specifically for Moshe to give him space. Why? Because Moshe needed time to process. That's why. Because sitting with God was intense interaction, right? It was also intense data, right? Well, God is giving him information, dialogue, what have you. And that's pretty intense. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course, understood that and allowed for Moshe to take time. And as a Hachamim say, notice it doesn't say time here explicitly. I'm putting that in because obviously it took time. What do they use to take time and space? And what is the space? The space, of course, is space away from God. Now, that doesn't mean space away from God where Moshe is not thinking about God or, you know, there's not, you know, God's no longer in Moshe's life. I just want to be clear. That's not what I mean, nor what the Hachamim mean. But what's clear is that he's not sitting with God in connection and dialogue. He's on his own now. He has his own space. So the, the, what's provided to Moshe in the breaks in the Hapsakot, which is literally what Hapsaka means, is a break, is revach. It's not just time, but space. His own space. For what? Lead bonen. To contemplate and process what it is that he learned. Because right? it's one thing to take in information. It's another thing to appropriate the information, to understand the information, which is literally what the Bonen means, Bina is understanding. I can take in a whole bunch of data. There's a question of whether I understand the data. You know, people say this to me often when they hear like a speech or a class or something that I give. You know, they'll come out of the speech or the class and say, oh, Rabbi, that was a nice speech. It was a good class. And then they'll say, I have no idea what you said, but it was good. Right. So how do you know it was good? Right? Because whatever they were getting was good. The question of having to say it, right, to be able to organize it, to be able to process it, to be able to say it you know, themselves, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. And that's an experience that we have. That's why, you know, Richard Feynman uh, is known for saying that how do you know that you understand something? If you can explain it to a child, then you understand it. Why? Because it means, he doesn't say this, I mean, I'm, I'm Perush on Richard Feynman, right? Because it means that you understand it so clearly that you are able to recognize the key and core components of it and be able to put it forward in elementary terms. And you know what needs to be said and what doesn't need to be said. What are the foundational elements and what are not? What could be added on that as the child gets older? That's understanding. 
So what it's saying is that Moshe didn't get the, the Bina immediately. And he needed time to process. I'm, an, I'm a person that requires a tremendous amount of time to process things. I am not a fast thinker by any means. And uh, it's a problem because people think very fast and I don't and they expect me to be able to respond very quickly and I just can't. It takes me a long time to be able to process. Once I process it, so I have it. Before, until then, it takes me time to be able to work through things. So it requires time and it requires space. And so HaKadosh gave that to Moshe. Now, the amazing thing is, is that this, these hafsakot, these breaks, right, are indicated in the Torah itself, in the written Torah. Because it says, what did he give Moshe breaks? Where did he give Moshe breaks? Ben parasha le parasha. What's ben parasha le parasha? Between paragraphs. What do you mean between paragraphs? Well, parasha is an idea, right? So it's a concept, yeah? But it's indicated. We will call, if you look at it, a written Sefer Torah, you recognize the written Sefer Torah is written in paragraphs. There are breaks between the letters in various points. There are two kinds of paragraphs. There's a, there's a paragraph that's open and a paragraph that's closed. The paragraph that's open, what we call parashat petuha, is where the writing stops in the middle of the line and the rest of the line is left blank. And the next parasha starts on the next line. It's a paragraph. There's parashat petuhot, excuse me, parashat setumot. There are closed paragraphs and where the writing ends on one line there's a gap, and then the writing picks up again on that same line, but after the gap, right? So there's a space, there's writing, space, writing, as opposed to writing space, and then starting writing on the new line. These indicate, according to what it is that Achamim are saying over here, where Moshe had points of processing. And one uh, assumes, and the Malbim writes this, that in the parasha pituha with the open gap that runs all the way to the end of the line, there was a greater need on Moshe's part to be able to understand or to be able to process from one to the next. And the parasha setuma, the closed parasha, there was less of a need for Moshe. He understood the connections and how it was that these things run. But Moshe needed time to process. And he needed it right? between conceptual ideas that are being presented. So now listen to what the Hachamim is saying. This is the key. So the Hachamim says, So, I mean, there's uh, something that we learn from this that is, that is clearly built on the base idea of Moshe's, right? That is all the more so. And what is the all the more so? I mean, if you tell me that somebody is learning directly from God, I mean, you don't get a better teacher than that. Yeah. And being able to know it by Ruach HaKodesh, right? By, he, gets the, he gets the connection through connect, connectedness with God spiritually. That person who's getting direct teaching from God still needs time to process between a parasha and a parasha, one parasha and another parasha, I mean, Moshe, what he was getting, you know, an IV directly internally, you know what I mean? It's like as close as you get, it's as easy as you get. And still he needed time to process? So you're telling me that the processing when God is teaching you is not automatic? No, it requires a human processing of the words, of the information. 
information of the dialogue of the communication? Well, how much more so How much more so human beings with other human beings? I mean, if even with the perfection of God's teaching, a person needs to be able to step back, and the person we're talking about is Moses, and process all the more so us regular human beings down here that are teaching each other, learning, teaching and learning, all the more so it requires time and space for processing. And that is why it's important to have breaks from the Habura's curriculum. Why? Because you've learned a lot this year. And not only have you learned a lot this year, you have learned a lot that in, in a sense is paradigmatic shift. Right, because there's something about the Habura. The Habura has a uniqueness to it, right? If you could find it everywhere, then it wouldn't be a thing. There's something special that's being taught. And therefore, there's not only you know human beings teaching human beings, it's also opening up a different framework. So I find this very often. People sit in a shiur and they think they got it. And it takes a great deal of time to be able to genuinely get it. And so what happens is people run out of the Bet Midrash and they think, or they run out of the shiur, or run out of a series of shiur, and they think, okay, I can share this. When they don't realize that they have not yet even been able to process it. And very, very soon they find themselves out of their depth. So how does one process what it is that one is hearing? It's not by listening to hours and hours and hours. Sometimes there needs to simply be silence so that everything that has been listened to and learned can find its, find its settlement within the mind and the heart of the person. And we pay more attention, we tend to pay more attention to the learning part than the hafsaka part. But the hafsaka part is so precious. And that is why after every hafsaka, I mean, there's some hafsakot in the Torah, some parashiyot in the Torah that are one pasuk. And that's why after every hafsaka, after every break, Moshe HaKadosh Baruch Hu would call Moshe. He would call him, say, Moshe, Moshe, come back. Gently. Caringly, with love. Why? Because to bring somebody back in after that break is a jarring experience. Because it's during the break that people really realize what they've just learned or what they've just acquired. It's not at the time of the learning, it's afterwards. You begin to understand the implications of this information. You begin to understand the interconnectedness of these, this data with other data. You begin to understand what the effects are on you, your life, your thinking, everybody else's. Questions come out that you didn't have when you were sitting. Yeah. That's also an experience that I have. You know, I'm, I'll give a shiur, I'll say any question, nothing. Then after a few minutes, the questions start to come up. They start to bubble, right? After a few days, I get text messages and emails and so on, you know, of stuff that comes up. And that's completely understandable as the way it should be. 
So this is the process, right? This is how Moshe learned from God. And as the Hachamim are saying, if that's how Moshe learned from God, how much more so it's how it is that we need to learn. That's why breaks are very important. So there's another issue. And that is that there is a certain element of guilt around it for some people. I'm not saying, suggesting that, you know, anybody here is feeling the guilt, right? There's also a feeling of missing, right? A lack of connectedness, perhaps. So I wanted to share with you an interesting thing that is written by Rav Chaim Volozhin, right? About this idea. Because part of what the question is, is, is Moshe stepping away from God during these breaks? I mean, isn't it better to be connected with God? I mean, God's fine with that. Doesn't, there's no exertions on his part. And as it says very clearly, the only reason why God's doing the breaks is for Moshe's sake, not for his sake. He could go all day and all night and all day and all night for weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years. Not a problem for God. It's a problem for Moshe. So what about these times where there is distance, so to speak, from God? And when we're sitting and contemplating, is that genuinely a break from Torah? And what Rav Chaim Volozhin suggests is, no, it's not a break from Torah. It's all part of it. It's a break from perhaps the interconnectedness that is face-to-face -face with God. But it's not a break from Torah. Because it's all part of the endeavor. And so Rav Chaim says the following, very interesting thing. He says, Because, you know, if you want to talk about learning Torah Lishma, Part of it is just trying to understand everything. So it's not always a question of the loftiness of the ultimate purpose. Sometimes it's just figuring it out. Torah Lishma is not this, this clinging to God, right? That is, you know, the, the, the context of a person's Torah learning, the way that most people think he says. Very interesting thing it says in the Midrash that he brings over here. David Amelech asked the Kadosh Baruch Hu, according to Achamim, that he wanted that people who read Tehillim should be seen by Akadosh Baruch Hu as equivalent to those who are studying the intricate laws of Tzarat and Ahalot. Right? There's the laws of purity and impurity. Which implies a very clear thing. That if David is asking that Tehillim should be considered on par with the, the, the intricacies of Hilchot Tumavetara, take precedent over the reading of Tehillim. And it seems that seems that Akadosh Baruch Hu is more interested in that than the reading of Tehillim or the saying of Tehillim. It's a fascinating concept. Because if I'm delving into the intricacies of Berit, well, that means that you really care. I mean, you're really interested in the details, aren't you? Well, that means something. 
So it's the difference is, you know, I'll give you an example, right? A, 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 a mashal for this. So let's say, you know, uh, somebody uh, you care about or somebody that you're interested in having a connection or relationship to wrote something, wrote a book. And what you spend most of your time doing is, you know something, you're so great. I can't believe that you wrote a book. You wrote a book in such a short amount of time. You wrote such a big book. You wrote such a, such a popular book. It's so wonderful. That's what Tehillim is. But imagine what it would mean to the author if you actually read the book and started to actually analyze the book and said, you know, you wrote this passage. You know what that, the implications of that, of that point that you made are this and this. And I, I, you know, I was thinking about it and it has implications elsewhere in these circumstances. That's a whole different level. Why? Because it's not just you talking about me and the fact that I wrote the book, right? It's that you care about what I wrote. You're actually reading what I wrote. You're actually thinking about the implications and intricacies of what it is. That's a whole other level of care. So what he's saying is, is that that's what David wanted people, wanted the reading of Tehillim to be considered by Akadosh Baruch it's more desired by God, of course. I mean, if you're talking about Vekut is just, you know, uh, uh, thinking of on God, well, then there's nothing better than Tehillim. So it can't be that Vekut or connection with God is just thinking on God. But also a question of what it is that God wrote. What are the actual things that he said? And how do they apply to me? And what are their implications? So he says like this. When a person is actually toiling, working in Torah, delving into it. You don't have to be worrying about, oh my gosh, am I thinking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu at the same time? That's the work. Meaning that is in and of itself the Avodah. But what is it? At the time that you're trying to understand the sugya in Ahalot, yeah, I mean, obviously it's Mishnah, but you know, or Yushalmi, right? Or whatever it is, the sugya in the Talmud that you're studying. You are clinging to his desire and word. And Akadosh Baruch Hu and his word are the same. And that's very important because what that means is that even when we are taking time to understand the Torah, to internalize it, to process it, that's love. And that's why, and this is very important, and that's why after the Hafsakah, there is an expression of love from God to Moshe, by Gerayel Moshe, every time. Because on the Hafsakot, Moshe was engaged in acts of love, even though he wasn't sitting directly with God. What was he doing? He was trying to understand. And how, how loving is that? How caring is that? So, you know, you spend all of this time studying, studying, studying in the Habura, all these different lectures, all these different teachers, all this different information, all these different frameworks. Spend some time now, if it matters to you, if you care about it, Spend some time really reviewing, really thinking about the implications. Not that you haven't already, right? Because it's only, you know, once a week or twice a week that we, that we do this, fine. But in the break time, 
where there isn't another shiur coming at you, right? where there isn't something more coming at you. Take the time to contemplate the year. Look through the classes, see what's been taught. What have you learned? Where, what have you attended? And consider its implications. And that too is a very important part of Talmud Torah. A very important part of our relationship with Atadosh Baruch who end our engagement in Berit. So when we opened, right, we gave the, the maiden shiur, right, the opening shiur was to recognize that Akadosh Baruch Hu is in the world. And the world is an elaborate expression of Akadosh Baruch Hu, and to know the world is to know him. And so that was our opening, right, that there, there, is, there is always an opportunity to be able to know Akadosh Baruch Hu and see Akadosh Baruch Hu and almost in all of our endeavors. And now at the close, when we have gone through a great deal of imbibing, yeah, the question is, now that I have it all, how does it sit with me? Where does it lie internally? And what comes up for me when I think on these things? And that, my dear Haverim, requires quiet. It requires space. And that indeed really is something that we have to question our ability to do and to have. To what degree are we okay to be alone with our thoughts? To what degree are we uh, able to be in solitude? Not connected, not plugged in. Is it the fact that when we are alone, we all automatically come into loneliness? Or that we can be alone in our own company with our own thoughts without plugging into anything else, including a direct consciousness with God. So to go in and to consider what's happening for me. And that's what Moshe did. It was part of his development and growth and learning. And so the first question is, can I do that? Can I sit alone with my own thoughts? Can I be only me in whatever it is that I've learned and in, 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 in incorporated and consider where it is for me and how it comes up for me and how it hits me and what it makes me think and feel? And if I cannot do that yet, well, then my first order of business is to get to the point that I can. And that too is an imperative of Torah. And that's the concept of hippodidut that the Hachamim talk about. Even Harambam talks about it. It's not you don't need to go to the Hasidim in order to be able to hear about or learn about hippodidut, right? Harambam calls the times of solitude zmanim precious moments. That's in those moments that you can actually think. You don't have to be focused on you know work and, and eating and responsibilities and errands and, and tasks and people. You can just think. And Harambam says, oh, there's many precious moments in the Moray Nebuchim. So here you have opportunities for precious moments. Consider what's happening for you internally after this first year of learning. And then we will warmly call you back and we'll do year two. And I hope to be able to see everybody and to have a, a, some really exciting, exciting studies ahead. And with that, 
45 minutes in, I leave you and bid you a good evening or afternoon or what have you. Just go into. Thank you very much. We are going to miss you. I miss you too, but I'm around. I'm around. Thank you so much, Rafan. That was extremely profound. Um, have a great night, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much, Rahan, for being with us. Pleasure. And uh, we hope to see everyone next cycle fresh and ready for a exciting year. Amen. Good night. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rahan. Thank you very much.